Our passage this morning is Mark 5, verses 21 through 34. Hear the word of the Lord. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Good morning. The night is still vivid in my memory as I stood under the stars on a dark night with my good friend and mentor, Brian Morgan. Some of you know him. Brian had lost two children, one six days old, one nine days old of a terrible enzyme deficiency that the doctors had no answer for. And as he and I stood under the stars, his wife was about to give birth to child number three. And we did not know if that child would survive. So we cried out to the Lord together, begging for her life. Praise God, she did survive. Jenny's a wonderful young woman today. But few struggles are like that. Few struggles are like the loss of a child or a terrible illness of a child. Or another kind of struggle is the struggle of chronic illness that goes on and on long term with little hope of any recovery. MS, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, heart disease. We could go on and on. There's people among us who have these diseases where there's little to no hope of any improvement. These are the times when our faith is most tested. 
These are the times when our trust in God is put to the test through the fire. Much of my pastoral ministry and other pastors on staff as well is walking with you through those times of chronic illness or pain or loss. So what does it mean to trust Jesus at those times? How can we face those times of testing when Jesus tests our faith and walk through them with Jesus and not turn our back on him like too many do? Like those who question whether Jesus cares at those times. If he really cared, wouldn't he take away the pain and the hurt? And so they walk away. But today's passage Mark relates a couple of incidents that I think can help us have hope in the midst of those times of testing, those times of painful loss and chronic illness. And I believe they can help us, this passage can help us see how to trust Jesus, how to hang on to Him, even at those times. Pray with me. Lord, all of us face those kinds of difficult times of suffering and pain and loss. Because we live in a fallen world where those things happen to all of us. Thank you for this passage which opens our eyes to your hand's involvement in those times. May you open our hearts to see how present you are and how powerful you are even at those great painful times. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, Jesus does care. He does care. He cares in our fears. He cares in our fears. Mark, in this section of the book of Mark, has been encouraging us to trust Jesus in all things. The first section a couple of passages ago was when Jesus was in the boat with his disciples and the storm came up and they're terrified. Jesus, they wake him up and he calms the storm. It's an encouragement to us that no matter what our circumstances are, no matter how much we get tossed to and fro, we can trust that Jesus is sovereign. He's in the boat with us. We can trust him. The next passage was Jesus's confrontation with the garrison demoniac who had a legion of demons in him. And Jesus cast out the demons, showing us that Jesus is absolutely sovereign over the demonic world. We need not fear Satan or his minions. In Christ, we simply resist the devil and he will flee from us. Now in our passage today, Jesus deals with the painful realities of our hearts, those times of grief and pain and long-term suffering. And the question is, can we trust him there when pain gets personal? When pain reaches right to the very depths of our hearts. So the passage begins in verse 21 as Jesus is near Capernaum. Remember, Capernaum is a little town where back in chapter 3, there's a synagogue. And in chapter 3, the first six verses, we're, we're told the story of This man who came on the Sabbath and he had a withered hand and Jesus stood him up in the in the midst of the entire congregation and healed his hand on the Sabbath. And it says the Pharisees were angry and sought from that point on to begin to undermine his ministry and destroy him. Interesting that this man who comes 
to get Jesus' help for his daughter is the ruler of the synagogue. (laughs) Interesting, isn't it? He was there, most likely. (laughs) He was one of those that was angry that Jesus would heal on the Sabbath. How dare you do that? And in the synagogue, too. And yet now, at his time of desperation, when his daughter is sick and near the point of death, where does he turn? He knows there is no other hope but in Jesus. And he falls at Jesus' feet in desperation and earnestly begs him, please come, touch my daughter and heal her. Any parent knows the anguish and the fear and the concern you have for your children when they're ill or something's happened to them and you feel helpless and long for God to do something. Remember several of our children having the croup and the time when they're struggling and they can't breathe and you just long to take a breath for them and you just wonder, God, do something. Will you heal? Here, this little girl is at the point of death and Jairus knows there is nowhere else to turn. And I think verse 24 is a very powerful verse. It says, and Jesus went with him. (laughs) You know, I'm struck by that because Jesus doesn't question his attitude. He doesn't say, well, have you repented of how you treated me? (laughs) He doesn't say, "Uh, well, you need to get your act together. It just says Jesus went with him. Beautiful picture of the heart of God, brothers and sisters, that at our times of need, Jesus doesn't wait till we get our act together. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't make sure our attitude's all right. But when we cry out to him in our need, he responds. He is there. He's like State Farm. (laughs) Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. (laughs) And he shows up. Jesus is there. When we cry out to him. Does Jesus care? Oh, absolutely. He cares in our times of fear, our anxieties about what might happen. He shows up when we call on him. Secondly, Jesus cares in our chronic struggles, in our long-term suffering. He cares. We see that in the story of the woman who now comes. Jesus is in the crowd. He's following Jairus. They're going to Jairus' home, and the crowd is all around. They're pushing on him. They're touching him. They're holding him back. And then a woman is introduced to us who comes out of the crowd. There's four things said about this woman. Number one, she's had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Let me tell you what that means to a woman in that culture. Back in Leviticus chapter 15, describes what the law says about her. Verse 25 says, If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge, she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, 
All the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. Everything on which she sits shall be unclean as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. Whoever touches those things shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until evening. Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. This woman was unclean. And because of her uncleanness, she could not participate in community life. She could not be with others. She could not go to worship in the temple. She could not fellowship with anyone else. She was isolated, alone, and had to feel completely worthless. She was considered by the community as being punished by God. She was declared in the synagogue to be unclean. Guess who's the ruler of the synagogue? Jairus. He's standing right there (laughs) as this woman comes up to Jesus. Secondly, we're told about this woman that she suffered much at the hand of many physicians. The word for suffering there is the same word for Jesus' suffering on the cross. I hate to think of what she went through at the hands of these physicians attempting to heal her in a day when the medical community was not very far advanced. She suffered at the hand of physicians. And then we're told, number three, that she had spent everything she had. She was absolutely destitute. She had no advocate, no one there. If she had a husband, he was long gone. She was left to beg to survive. Twelve years of uncleanness. And then we're told, finally, it kept getting worse. It wasn't getting better. There was no hope. She's at the end of her rope. She has nowhere to turn. And it's very significant, I think, that Jairus is an important person in the community, and in the passage, he is given a name. We know who he is. What's the woman's name? We're not given it. It's a reminder to us that she's a woman. She's a nobody in the community. She's nameless, valueless. She comes up to him in the crowd. She violates the law. She pushes her way through people, causing them to become unclean as she pushes her way through to fight her way to Jesus because she had heard the report about him and she knew there was no other hope. And she says, she thinks, if I can just touch his... Now, this passage says garment, but Matthew makes it clear that it was his prayer shawl. It was his talent. Jesus wore a prayer shawl just like this. And at the corners, the four corners of the prayer shawl are tassels. Sitsit in the Hebrew which represent the word of God, which represent the truth of God, but that a person's prayer shawl, a rabbi's prayer shawl, represented to the people that this is his connection with God. When he would pray, he would lift it over his head to isolate himself from the world and focus on his connection with God. And so to all the community, a rabbi walking with his prayer shawl meant That's his connection with God. And she thinks, if I can just go up and I can just, if I can just touch his tassel, I can be healed. This is a man who has a connection with God. I I just want to touch his tassel. 
I just want to connect with his connection with God. And it happened. (laughs) She touched it and immediately the flow of blood stopped. Her faith in Jesus was realized. Now that could have been the end of the story. But notice what Jesus does. He knows the power has gone forth from him. I suspect he knew who it was all along. Maybe not. But he stops in the crowd and he says, who touched me? And the disciples think, Jesus, are you a fool or what? (laughs) Probably 30 people have touched you. What in the world are you talking about? And Jesus says, no, no, there's power that went out from me. Somebody was healed. I want to know who it was. Was that for himself so he would know? I don't think so. I think what he's doing is he's bringing her forth because this is a woman that's been absolutely rejected by her community and he wants all the community to know that she is healed so that she can be restored to her community, to her family, to the worship, to the synagogue, to her people. That's why I think in verse 28 and verse 34, the word that's used, she thinks, if I, if I just touch his talent, if I just touch the tassel, I will be, and she uses a word, saved. That's bigger than just healed physically. That means uh, I will be made whole again. My life will be made whole. I'll be, I'll be, my life will be fixed if I could just touch it. Interesting that that word saved in Hebrew, Yeshua. What's Jesus' name in Hebrew? Yeshua, salvation, he saves. When Jesus' power is released in our lives, it not only restores us to God, but it restores us to the people of God as well. That's what Jesus longs, that our relationship with him would be made whole and our relationship with one another would be made whole. And so Jesus goes out of his way to make sure this woman is restored to her community. And think about this. This rejected, broken, no-named, unimportant, valueless woman becomes an example to all the crowd of what faith looks like. It's simply clinging to Jesus in your time of need. It's reaching out to trust him even in your worst days. And Jesus fully restores her to God and to God's people. And there's such a tender, wonderful word that he uses here where he says in verse 34, daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, go in shalom, go in wholeness and be healed of your disease. He calls her daughter. It's the only place in the New Testament where we see Jesus call someone daughter. It's a beautiful picture of tenderness as Jesus says, you are part of the family of God. You have been restored. You are now family. You're home. You're home. I think this has to be one of the most touching scenes in all the scriptures. Daughter. Does Jesus care? <laughs> oh, yeah. He cares in those times of chronic illness when we feel isolated and alone and lost, left to ourselves. He cares. He also cares in our greatest losses. We see that in these next few verses. 
Verse 35. Now, let's set the scene again. Remember, Jairus is there and he's taking Jesus to go heal his daughter and he's anxious to get there and Jesus stops and helps this nobody woman instead of getting there to help his daughter. Now, I'm reading a bit into the text, but there are some hints here about Jairus' attitude because Jesus has to correct him and challenge him in his lack of faith. I I think he very well might have been standing there going, come on, Jesus, come on, my daughter is dying. And then comes the bad news, verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Your daughter is dead. It's too late. Jesus, if you had come when I wanted you to come, if you had been there at my time of need, you could have done something, but this is beyond even you. Why trouble you anymore? You're great, Jesus, but you're not this big. And you know, in our times of struggle, I think often we feel that way. In the midst of our pain, in the midst of our loss, in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our suffering that goes on and on and on, We think, well, Jesus can help that person or that person or that person, but my problem is too big for him. My sin, my pain, my loss is too much. But notice that Jesus meets Jairus right at that point of doubt, right at the point of loss, verse 36. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. I think there's a bit of a rebuke there because he just said to the woman, go in peace, your pistis, your faith has saved you. Now he says to Jairus, stop fearing. Don't be so afraid. Only pistuo, same roots, faith, belief, same root, same word. He says, do what the woman did. (laughs) Come on, Jairus. Follow her example. Only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John and the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Of course they laughed at him. Look, we're professional mourners. We saw the girl. She's dead. Jesus, this is beyond you. Get out of here. (laughs) What a fool. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who are with him and went in where the child was. Jesus meets him there in his doubt and his fear, and he meets us in the same place. And he says, right in the place where you're struggling the most, don't give way to fear. Only believe. Only keep hanging on to the tassel. Believe in my connection with the Father and hang on to me, Jesus says. So he steps into this situation of death, of mourning, of loss, And he shows them that the world is not as it appears. Death does not win. Jesus takes charge. And then in verse 41, 
an incredibly tender passage, tender verse. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. Talitha kum. Talitha kum. Mark quotes the actual Aramaic words that Jesus spoke to this girl as he takes her hand. Why in the Aramaic? Why does Mark include those? Well, most scholars think that Mark got all of these stories from Peter. He was close to Peter, and Peter was there inside this room, and I think those words stood out to Peter. He never forgot those words of tenderness. Little girl, literally, my little lamb, arise. There were burned into Peter's heart and mind of how Jesus can enter into our times of deepest pain and grief. And he says, don't stay down, but arise. Don't live under there, but arise. Get up. Rise from your deathbed. Rise from the depths of your loss. Rise up and walk. And she does. Verse 42. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. Yeah, I think so. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Just a comment. She's 12 years old. The woman who had suffered for 12 years in her bleeding. Why the 12 and the 12? Why does Mark include those facts? I think it's a challenge to Israel to say, Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, you're looking to the wrong place for life. Jesus is the only one that can heal your nation. Jesus is the only one that can heal your soul. Turn to him. Take hold of his talent. Put your faith in him. And then you get to verse 43. To me, the, uh, this is just humorous. Oh, by the way, don't tell anyone. Oh, there's a crowd outside who just saw her dead. <laughs> and when she walks out and says, can I have something to eat? Don't tell anyone. <laughs> Why does Jesus say that? Everyone will know, right? But I think he's saying this to Jairus. I don't want to start a popular uprising. That's not what I came for. I came to establish the kingdom of God, to start a spiritual revolution. And then to Jairus specifically, I think he's saying, don't make me, Jairus, a celebrity. And Jairus, don't make yourself or your daughter a celebrity either. You know what we do with healings, right? <laughs> we want to make a big deal and flash it everywhere. And he's saying, Jairus, don't take pride in this. Don't, don't make yourself a celebrity. Don't make your daughter a celebrity in this. Just go. Think about what it means to trust me. And go love your daughter. Just go love your daughter. Now, here's the challenge of this passage for us today, right? We go through difficult times. We go through times of loss. And Jesus healed both of these. The woman was healed of her chronic illness. The little girl was risen from the dead. She was raised. But Jesus doesn't always do that for us. In fact, he seldom seems to do that for us. Though he can and does sometimes, he often doesn't heal physically. 
Well, we need to remember some things. One is that the physical healings that Jesus and the apostles did are signposts to point us to the deeper spiritual healing that God wants to do in our lives. And Ray Stedman quotes G. Campbell Morgan, thinking a beautiful description as G. Campbell Morgan, a great English expositor, is described this way. There was a time when his firstborn daughter lay at the point of death. Years later, speaking on this incident of the raising of Jairus' daughter, he said these words. I can hardly speak of this matter without becoming personal and reminiscent, remembering a time 40 years ago when my own first lassie lay at the point of death, dying. I called for him then, and he came and surely said to our troubled hearts, Fear not, believe only. He did not say, She shall be made whole. She was not made whole. On the earthly plane, she passed away into the life beyond. But he did say to her, Talitha kum, little lamb, arise. But in her case, that did not mean stay on the earth level. It meant that he needed her and he took her to be with himself. She has been with him for all these years as we measure time here, and I have missed her every day. But his word, believe only, has been the strength of all the passing years. So what can we take from this passage, these stories? Well, I think God wants us to take from this that if we will turn to Jesus and grab hold of his talent in our times of pain and grief and loss, we can expect several things from Jesus. Number one, we can expect Jesus' presence. Chronic pain and loss makes us feel alone and isolated and worthless, like we have nothing to offer. But when we turn to Jesus, He is there. He answers. He comes. Whether we feel His presence or not, the truth is He is there. Never forget that. We can expect... Jesus' presence. Secondly, we can expect Jesus' power. This story shows us that as soon as we turn to Jesus in our own pain and grief, He releases His power into our situation. It may be to provide physical healing. I've seen Him do that. But it's often a greater victory of His strength and a greater expression of His power to provide the power to persevere in the face of long-term pain. When He provides the power to forgive those who have hurt us or rejected us. When He provides the power to not fall into self-pity, but to keep reaching out to love others, even in the midst of our own grief and pain. When He provides the power to cling to Jesus, even when it seems impossible. When He gives us the power to hope and continue hoping over the long haul. We can expect Jesus' power to show up when we turn to Him. And then third, we can expect Jesus' promise. And we can cling to that in the midst of it. His promise of healing. The story reminds us that Jesus does promise to heal us. It may be physically now, or it may be in the new heavens and new earth when we get our redeemed bodies and we are finally made completely whole. But our current suffering does not have the last word. Death does not win. Suffering does not win. Jesus wins. 
And He promises to heal. Never forget that. So the story reminds us that if we will turn to Him, we'll immediately have His presence, His power, and His promise of healing. Never forget it. A couple last thoughts. There's a word that's used in verse 29 and verse 34. It's a word for, uh, translated maybe affliction or suffering. It's actually a word that's most often used of scourging, of being whipped. And the woman's pain and struggle is described by her and by Jesus as being whipped, scourged. I think Mark puts that word in there to point us to another scourging. Who else was scourged? Jesus. And the little girl who died, who else died? Later in the book of Mark, Jesus. It's a reminder that Jesus never exempts himself from our own suffering. In fact, he takes it on. He takes on our suffering and he enters into it and he suffers with us in our chronic pain, in our grief, in our loss. He doesn't stay aloof and say, well, deal with it. No, he suffers with us. He took on our suffering. How do we get access to all this? How do we hang on to Jesus in the midst of our pain and loss? By faith. Remember, that's your faith has saved you, he says to the woman. Just believe and have faith, he says to Jairus. Just hang on. Trust. Hang on to the hem of my robe, to the tallet, to the tassel. Believe in my faith. Believe in who I am and hang on to me. And here's the great miracle that Jesus does when we do that. As we trust in Jesus in the midst of our pain and our loss. When we connect with him, when we put on our own prayer shawl and stay connected to him, we become a connection to God for other people who are suffering and cannot find the faith to trust. But they can see our faith and we can walk with them through our pain. Don't you love the way Jesus does that? When we suffer, he gives us opportunity to encourage others who are suffering as well. And we become the kind of people who people can hang on to our own tassel and find hope and strength in their own suffering. So may God be our strength in our suffering. And may God make us people that can be an encouragement to others in their suffering. Talitha kum. Let's arise and cling to him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you do not exempt yourself from our pain and our suffering. But you not only show up, but you give us your power and your strength and you suffer with us. May we be people of faith who cling to you so that others may find encouragement in our faith to be able to hang on to you even in their suffering as we cling to you as well. Thank you for the great promise of healing. May that encourage us and give us hope as we face our own suffering. We pray in the powerful, present, encouraging name of Jesus. Amen.